Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Phil Porter, co-founder of Interplay, which is an active, creative way to unlock the wisdom of the body, which he has been developing with Cynthia Winton Henry during the last 20 years. Interplay groups meet regularly in more than 60, country, 60 cities on six continents. He is the author of Having It All, Body, Mind, Heart, and Spirit Together Again at Last. Phil Porter, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks. Well, first of all, tell us what Interplay is. Well, you uh, in the introduction you had uh, kind of repeated a line that we often use, that it's an active, creative way to unlock the wisdom of the body. And, of course, that, that always raises a lot of questions for people. What does that mean? Uh, but it's basically it's an art-based approach to personal development and also community development. We're teaching people um, more about their bodies, um, how their bodies work, just the physicality in general, and how that integrates with, with mind and heart and spirit. And we use um, mostly improvisational techniques. We play with telling stories and finding voice and um, messing around with movement all in a very kind of incremental um, and, and playful way. And as I mentioned in the intro, you started this with Cynthia Winton Henry about 20 years ago. Can you tell the story behind how you two came together and how the interplay came to be? Yes. Um, actually, Cynthia and I have been colleagues for 30 years now. For the first 10 years or so of our working together, we were um, – basically in the theology and arts movement. We were part of a modern dance company called Body and Soul Dance Company with a, with a colleague, Judith Rock. And um, that company was you know, a modern dance company that was interested in using the, theological themes and images in its choreography. Uh, as part of that, we were teaching workshops quite a bit um, and, again, kind of exploring this relationship between physicality and spirituality. And you can kind of imagine that if you're doing dance stuff in the middle of a faith community, especially Christian tradition, that that's an interesting challenge, at least it was 30 years ago. Um, and in that process, we discovered that improvisation was, um, was a really good technique to use with um, people who might have a really wide variety of, of movement experience and background. So, you know, you could be working with folks who hadn't moved very much or people who had quite a bit of um, movement information um, and the improvisational forms um, allowed that um, you know range of experience and also let people really have kind of their own movement so it was less about teaching a particular technique as it was about just opening up the possibility of movement for anyone who was interested and when that company ended in about 1989 Cynthia and I decided um, that we really wanted to push forward on the improvisation part of what we were doing. Um, obviously, body and soul, we were using improvisation in some of our work, but a lot of our work that we performed was choreographed, and uh, Cynthia and I were both interested in creating in the moment. Um, and we were also interested in kind of expanding out the idea of integration to really include, go beyond just body and spirit, to be thinking about body and spirit and mind and heart. And again, we discovered that using these improvisational forms, that all of those parts of our physicality get act activated. And, you know, it's part of, it's an important part of our kind of philosophy that 
body, mind, heart, and spirit are all actually physical experiences. It's all part of our physicality. We may have divided those into kind of different boxes, but actually they're all woven in together. And when you're playing, when you're creating in the moment, you really are getting to access all of those uh, all of those parts of yourself. And interplay is also very community-based, so there's a lot of interaction. Uh, so a lot of what people learn, uh, both about themselves and other people, comes in that interactional part. You know, it's a little bit different than, say, a yoga class where you might be doing yoga with a whole group of people, but basically you're doing it yourself. You're doing it on your own. In interplay, what we're doing and creating is often in pairs or in groups or whatever. So it, the interactional part is really important. Um, that's kind of a you know a rough outline of of how that all started, but it's been this interesting kind of path from looking at the body spirit connection. And you know when we were doing this 30 years ago, there weren't many people who were talking about that uh, to now, where it's much more common for people to talk about uh, the integration of parts of ourselves. And we feel like the interplay practice, you know, the practice we feel is really important. Uh, that we've been able to find ways not only to talk about that, but for people to experience it, to do it over and over again, and integrate the benefits of it into their into their lives. Well, Phil, you know, I'd, I'd like to give testimony to Interplay since I'm an Interplay teacher, and also I've been integrating Interplay with Jungian psychology for some years now, for about 17 years, and um, I have learned tremendous amounts about incrementality, as you mentioned, and also witnessing in interplay and really honor. Witnessing is a huge part of what I love about interplay and what interplay is brought to communities. And I wonder if you can talk about um, both of those two things, incrementality and witnessing, and how those work together, possibly. Yeah, well, in, in the interplay system, we use this term witnessing to describe the process of um, essentially one person is doing something and then the other person in a pair, for example, um, is is there as both a presence and an observer. So it's a it's kind of a non-evaluative role. You're, the, the purpose is really just to be with. Um, but it's essentially, you know, it's like it's like a mini audience in some ways, although without that, mostly without that pressure. And what we've discovered is that, you know, I, I think it's part of the human, just the human condition that it's actually a challenge for us to see ourselves. You know, we're we're experiencing ourselves from the inside, um, but we've just found it so helpful to get reflection back from uh, from other people. And, and sometimes it's not even in verbal ways, you know, just to have someone who's present there while you're ha- having a particular experience or creating something is a powerful kind of experience. You know, if I, if I were by myself, I, 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 there's a, it's kind of like there isn't a, an accountability. Um, I'm not being held um, in, in, in any way. But when there's a witness, it's like that creates this kind of miniature time and space Thing that uh, where uh, you know something interesting can happen. You know, it has a beginning and it has an end, and you know there's a response, and I get to notice about it. The person who's witnessing may get to notice, um, but it's all in kind of an affirming atmosphere. And then incrementality, you know, by its nature, interplay is incremental. So what we discovered is that even though the things that we're doing are not very complicated. 
um, that they're not actually very common for people to do um, and that oftentimes people need to take small steps to move toward uh, being able to tell a story or to move or, or to have their voices. Um, and so we've found ways in you know, what, what we call in the interplay system these forms, the kind of simple structures that we use that kind of guide the creating and the interacting. Um, and each of them has just these very simple steps that, that we take, that we move people through um, from um, kind of the most basic and simplest thing, you know, all things that people can do, but they may not have asked themselves to do. Uh, and as we have thought about this and practice it, we've realized that incrementality is such an important part of, part of our lives that there's so much that... Um, because life is relatively complicated and we're trying to do big things oftentimes, we, it really is helpful to know how to break things down to take the little steps toward what it is that we want to need and, and all that. And both of those things, I think, have ended up being crucial elements of the, of the interplay experience, uh, being seen um, and also learning how to take those little steps to get, get what we want, not only in interplay situations but in life in general. Yes, yeah, so I know you have an interest in uh, bringing interplay into work settings and looking at money as an energy. And so I wonder um, what you've seen in the work in work settings, um, or with people setting goals and making decisions in terms of incrementality and how that's helped in those places. It's um, you know it's really quite interesting that it feels to me, and this is obviously kind of a generalization, but um, the workplace may be one of the places where, especially in kind of corporate organizational life, I think I'm always kind of picturing the office setting as, as opposed to some other settings, but um, it may be one of the places where we most restrict our physicality, uh, where we kind of feel like we're supposed to behave and fit in and you know, in that process, we kind of pull uh, pull ourselves in about what we think is appropriate for us to do. Um, I mean, I, this is also, I think, a bit of of our Western culture that we've been taught how to, you know, control ourselves and uh, hold ourselves in and you know, not be too big. And um, in the process of doing that, I think we've lost contact with some of our capabilities. So. For example, in the workplace, it could be that because because of the the sense that we're supposed to conform, we might actually be cutting off access to parts of ourselves that could be really valuable to the organization. Um, and you know, as an artist, I, I I sort of think that there's a bunch of right brain stuff that um, that's right brain skill that we have that is really important in especially in complex organizational life. Um, that we may not have access to because we're not using the forms that wake those parts of our brain up. So to be able to have our physicality, to have our voices, to have movement, to um, to have access to that creativity, um, it, it essentially kind of shuts down part of part of who we are. So what, what, the interesting thing is, like, you can get a group of people together in, in a workplace and you can ask them to take a deep breath and let it out with a sigh, just that simple thing, and that's a challenge. Um, it's kind of, that's how, <laughs> that's how restricted mm -hmm. it is, you know. Um, 
And what we believe, you know, again, taking the incremental approach is that we realize in organizations that we can probably only take little steps um, toward increasing access to physicality. Um, but even some of those simple things like being able to take a deep breath, let out with a sigh, or to shake the body out, we use that a lot to release tension and, and energy in the body. Um, being, being able to have our, our voices, um, even in that audible, in the audible sign, just simple things like that um, can actually have quite a big uh, effect on the on the group as a whole. We're we're looking a lot at how individual bodies work together as groups, um, and how some of the same rules that apply to group bodies are um, they're the same as what happens with individual bodies. So, if an individual if an individual body can experience anxiety, so can a group body, um, and that the, our physical information really gets communicated from body to body in, in a group. If you kind of continue on through the interplay system, then some of these basic um, basic principles that guide the way individuals work can be applied in organizations. So as you said, we were talking about incrementality, that's such an important tool for an individual body, but it's also an important tool for individuals working in groups as well. And, you know, individuals can use that themselves or groups can understand that that idea or that concept um, in, in ways that can help um, the way that a whole group works together. I mean, I think at this point we're, we're convinced that in in current organizational life, which which is fairly complex and very interdependent, um, that we need to know how to access you know all the abilities capabilities that we have uh, in order to do what we need to do. So you've described some of this work that you've done in workplaces just now, and you were talking a little bit about particularly in your history, but today, the work you've done in faith communities and spirituality, um, and I, I believe you've done work in hospitals and with actors and students, but another piece of your work has been in groups where it seems almost impossible, perhaps, to engage in in what you're talking about in places such as prisons and war zones and with gangs, and I'm wondering if you can describe what some of that work has looked like and, and what's come out of, of working with those particular groups. Well, it, it um, you know different. It, one of the one of the things that's happened in interplay is that we, as we have trained uh, other people to teach and lead interplay, then they've taken them into a variety of locations. So some of this more, some of the more specific work that's been done has been done by other interplay leaders. Um, but it, you know, one I think one of the biggest things, one of the things that we talk about in interplay is is moving from. Um, stress to ease, that any of the ways that we can reduce the stress in our bodies, which is such a, has such an effect on our health, um, is going to be for the good. Um, and uh, many of the situations that you're describing uh, where, where we have used interplay are, are places of high stress. Uh, so at the very least, uh, we're the, the, the physical... Um, kind of getting access to physicality, the, the the things that we do to help people do that, and to do that as in relationship, um, it's, it tends to be a kind of a natural uh, stress reducer. So, for example, Masanko Banda, who's one of our interplay leaders, 
um, has done uh, work several times in refugee camps in uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, and, you know, the, lots of times these are folks who have experienced a fair amount of trauma. They may be displaced. Um, he does a lot of his work with children and youth. Um, and to provide opportunities for people to be working in a different way uh, to kind of transcend their circumstances and to find ways to connect is um, is a really powerful thing. Um, we have a number of uh, interplay leaders who are working with uh, with folks in in prison, especially women. Um, and you know, one of the experiences that I keep hearing uh, described over and over again is that a lot of times these women ha- haven't had a chance to tell their story, um, and to be able to do a little bit of that is such is such a powerful release for them. For someone to to to, well, to go back to the witnessing idea, they, they they have someone witnessing them, and that's such a powerful thing for us to be able to articulate what's what we've been through, and to have that honored um, by another person. And I think the creativity component as well with prison. I I actually taught a creativity course for 27 men in in a prison here in Connecticut, and. You know, many of them said, you know, why is this the first time in our lives, whether they were 18 years old or 50-something years old, why is this the first time we've ever experienced this idea about creativity or creative thinking or creative learning in our lives, whether it was in prison or out of prison? So I I assume that, you know, in addition to the witnessing and the stories part, that they, you know, helping tap into this core part of who we are as human beings through a creative means such as interplay, um, is probably happening for many of them as well. Yeah, you know, when we're making stuff up, we're we're, we're working with our own material, um, especially when we're when we're improvising. But any time that we kind of um, take this approach of I'm uh, something new is going to come out, which is I think kind of at the root of creativity. We're going to make something. Um, you know, we're we're drawing on our own resources uh, sometimes in response or in interaction with others or materials or whatever, but it just kind of naturally pulls out who we are. Um, And it pulls out a kind of a part of our experience that if we don't have these forms, it may not get accessed. I mean, I think that's kind of the important thing is that it's like the the ability is lurking back there somewhere and it's just waiting for a, a way to get out and but it needs some form it needs a form to do that it needs materials or an opportunity or or just a a way to go about um a a, a place and a way to go about creating so yeah i think that when we when we do get to access our creativity really what we're doing is we're accessing ourselves and if it doesn't get expressed in a positive way through positive creativity through positive movement, you know, I think it does find an outlet, as many of them, I think, have articulated, and, and sometimes it's negative and or illegal, but it does find an outlet. Yes, I, I agree with that. So I like what you're saying, Phil, about um, drawing, that through interplay we can draw on our own resources and then we can show who we really are, our natural being, and I've seen so many times in interplay how um, people really are, they feel seen and, and witnessed and that there's just this extreme joy in that being seen and hearing 
their their own voice and and having other people witness that voice. Um, and I wonder how you see that connection with being seen and um, in your play and spirituality. How those in the, in the physicality in physicality how that all goes together. Um, because a lot of people would think, well, how how is that spiritual? I don't get that um, <laughs> out there. So I do, but <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that many people listening to this interview will think, I don't get that. How can that be? So how, how, does, how does all this relate to spirit and spirituality? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the first... Um, the, the first thing that's important to say about spirituality is that we have certain pictures about what spirit is about. Um, and, you know, I, and I, I think in the interplay way of thinking, again, spirituality is a category of physical experience. If, if, we, if we weren't having some sort of experience in our bodies, how would we know that it was a spiritual experience? So, you know, this stuff isn't happening outside us, even though we may have a sense in, in this stuff that we call spirituality that we're connecting at a bigger place. But, you know, the first thing for us is that it's a, it's a physical experience. So that's kind of, that's an important point. I think another important point is that, that there's the experience and then there's the, um, kind of the way that we understand the experience. So the theological process is a lot about giving explanations for a particular kind of experience. And in interplay, we're trying to get back to those direct physical experiences, whatever they might be. And we just believe that there's a whole kind of category of stuff that people are very familiar with, um, that it's so much a part of uh, who we are as human beings, whether it's um, community or connection or um, looking for peace or um, ecstasy or, you know, I think there's a whole host of um, uh, of these kind of categories of experience that are quite quite accessible and quite common that we might put in the spirit box. Um, and so the first thing is we want to kind of shake up our ideas about what, what spirit is. But um, what we keep finding over and over again is that people um, have those experiences of depth and connection and mystery and awe um, that happen just kind of naturally out of, uh, out of the creative process, um, and that's kind of how we would um, de- define that um, that spirituality part. There, there's a, quite a bit of baggage, I think, around kind of um, spirit, spirituality, and theology, and all that stuff. Um, so you have to do a little bit of excavating to find the what we think is at the root of it, uh, which really goes back to physical, kind of physical human experience. Is it true yep. when you were telling the story at the beginning of how you started that you, you and Cynthia sort of asked the question early on, how do, you, how do you bring more theater and play and movement into church, and how do you bring church and spirituality experiences into the, the theater and arts settings? Yeah, it was it was kind of an essential question. You know, we uh, I I think all three of us, Cynthia and Judith Rock and I came came to this question in slightly different ways, but at the root of it was kind of recognizing that uh, that as dancers, as movers or creators in general, I mean, I, we were all kind of creating in a number of different forms, but dance was the center of our work together. We realized that how closely intertwined our our uh, spiritual and physical experience was that through dance we were 
having a lot of experiences or learning these things or you know accessing a different kind of content and we were interested in sharing that idea with um with other people we we used to kind of joke the name of our company was body and soul dance company and we used to joke that we were uh trying to teach the church folks that they had bodies and to teach the dance folks that they had um souls um at that time that in the dance world dance was uh, modern dance was pretty abstract and uh, kind of form-based, and we were interested in moving as human beings and included a lot of stories, sometimes text and theater, and um, so it was a little bit different than what a lot of people were doing at at that time. You know, in the next kind of while, um, we started to see more and more dancers uh, articulating their, the, the, the deep spiritual connections they felt when they when they moved, um, so that was that was kind of the way that worked for us, um, and still and still works for us. And I also value so much uh, story and storytelling within interplay, and and I wonder my, what you might have to say about um, since I know you're a master storyteller yourself, and what you might have to say about the telling of stories through interplay storytelling forms. One, the simplest thing that I've noticed is that um, in, you know, kind of the ways that we interact interact in our normal lives, sometimes we don't get very far below the surface. Um, And in interplay, even the process of telling the simplest details about our lives creates a sense of greater connection. Uh, In interplay, the the task, kind of the storytelling tasks are often, um, they might even see, see them as being quite pedestrian. So, so, for example, I'm asking uh, someone uh, that people are in pairs, and I'm asking each person to describe their kitchens. Well, you know, you start to describe your kitchen, and you realize before too long that you're starting to share bigger details about your life. I mean, at the very least, you're, you're, the witness, your partner, is getting a little glimpse into your life. And I've just come to appreciate... Um, how how powerful that is to it's a powerful way to get to know people and it's also a powerful way for me to be able to share my life um you know i'm i don't i love to tell stories i don't consider my my life to be dramatic um but i know how important it is for me to be able to tell bits the bits and pieces of of what's going on in my life and uh, you know the the smallest things can be an uh, an interesting revelation about who we are as as people um it's a great way to connect and to bond I, i've just found over time uh, not even uh, notwithstanding the just the fun it is of of, of telling stories um, about both simple and profound things well the other part of... go ahead Steve. In the remaining minute or so, I was going to ask you, I know you've got one of Cynthia Winton Henry's poems in front of you about interplay, and I'm wondering in the closing minutes here if you would share that at the end. Yeah, I'd be glad to. This poem actually came out of a a concert that we did with about 35 interplayers in San Francisco a number of years ago called um, The Unbelievable Unbelievable Beauty of Being Human, Uh, and this is what she wrote afterwards. Picture this people not afraid to touch, children looking up to dancing elders, rowdy lovers, everyone snatched up in each other's arms, hips curved, 
hair clipped or flying, opposites attracting, stories of consequence, failure, curse, trust, and victory. Picture this, a southern white millionaires and a black man embrace, an ex-con and suburbanite dancing, addicts full of only themselves, pagan and Christian laughing, a lesbian mom taking center stage, Gay and straight men carry on, and everyone is in love with the beauty of an unwed mom. Picture thousands of stages, altars, halls, and schools as home to dancing bodies. Hospital workers singing to those in bed, song and dance raised up in prison, ghetto, and war zone. Fear taking second place to love, as we know we are, each other's bread. I have seen all this again and again in the gathering of willing players, unbelievably beautiful, so believably human. Can you picture this? Bill, thanks very much for reading that. That was a poem by Cynthia Winton Henry about interplay. And Phil, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you, Phil. What I love about interplay is that you can be silly and profound, and that poem really speaks to both of those. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It is. Thank you. Phil Porter is an artist and co-founder of Interplay. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com. Listen December 17th at noon Eastern when our guest will be poet Amina Brown. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you for joining us, Phil. Thank you.